O Lord our God, creator of the universe, creator of things seen and unseen, we humbly come before you this morning in awe. We acknowledge that you are who you say you are. We acknowledge that salvation is found in no one else except in our Savior, Jesus Christ. We put our trust in you alone, and we are so thankful for your wonderful grace. We worship you this morning as only you are worthy of worship and praise. Glory be to you forever and ever. Amen. The captain of the ship looked into the dark night, and he saw faint lights in the distance. Immediately, he told his signalman to send a message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. Promptly, a return message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. The captain was angered. His command had been ignored. So he sent a second message. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am the captain. Soon another message was received. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am Seaman 3rd Class Jones. Immediately, the captain sent a third message, knowing the fear that it would evoke. Alter your course 10 degrees south. I am a battleship. Then the reply came. Alter your course 10 degrees north. I am a lighthouse. Thank you. (laughs) In the midst of our dark and foggy times, all sorts of voices are shouting orders into the night, telling us what to do and how to adjust our lives. And out of the darkness, one voice signals something quite opposite to the rest, something almost absurd. But the voice happens to be the light of the world, And if we ignore it, it is to our peril. Our subject this morning is part one of Jesus, the divine Son of God. And Dr. Dave Hook will be doing part two. Not today, though. We read in in John chapter one, verses one to three. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made, nothing was made that has been made. And in Genesis chapter 1 verse 16, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 30, the Father and I are one. Jesus is unity. He was with God and he is God. He created everything that exists. He is omnipotent. Jesus is all-powerful. Consider the power and the greatness of the one who created the universe and inhabits every square inch. Let's begin with our solar system. At the speed of light, 300,000 kilometers a second, sunlight takes eight minutes to reach the earth. The same light takes five more hours to reach the furthest, furthest planet In our solar system, Pluto, although scientists have now decided in their wisdom that Pluto does not meet the requirements to be a planet anymore. After leaving our solar system, that same sunlight must travel for four years and four months 
to reach the next star in the universe. That's a distance of 40 trillion kilometers. Mere shouting distance in the universe. The sun resides in the Milky Way galaxy, which is shaped like a flying saucer, flat and with a bulge in the middle of it. Our sun is roughly three-quarters of the way to the edge of the galaxy. Our galaxy contains hundreds of billions of stars. Yet the Milky Way is about one of roughly one trillion galaxies in the universe. Astronomer Alan Sandage says, Galaxies are to astronomy what atoms are to physics. And there are 20 galaxies in what is called our local group. The next sort of grouping in the universe is called a supercluster of galaxies. And within our supercluster, the nearest cluster of galaxies called Virgo is 50 million light years away. And a light year is the distance light travels in one year. To get a feel for the distance, of one light year, if you drove your car at 90 kilometers an hour, that is, considering you're following the speed limit, it would take you 12.2 million years to travel one light year. Astronomers estimate that the distance across the universe is roughly 40 billion light years, and that there are roughly 100 billion stars. And the Lord Almighty is the creator of it all. Not a bad day's work. In Colossians 1.16, Paul says this about Jesus. For by him all things were created. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him, for him. And in Colossians 2.9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Jesus has no limits or boundaries. He is infinite. Jesus has no beginning or end. John 1.1 1, 1 says, He existed in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Matthew 28.20 20 says, He will be with his followers to the end of the age. And surely I am with you, always, to the very end of this age. Revelation 22.13 tells us he is the beginning and the end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Jesus is eternal. Jesus never changes. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is constant in the past, the present, and the future. He is immutable, meaning unchangeable. And his decisions are based on his merit, not on mine. It is only his merit that counts, and namely whether I am in Jesus Christ. Because when in Jesus, it's not about our rights with others. Rather, it's about others' rights to salvation. As God came in Jesus to seek and save the lost, setting aside all his rights, we are called to do the same. When in Jesus we have surrendered all our rights, we no longer assert any rights for ourselves. With the motives of Jesus, we no longer live for self. We live for the glory of God and others' salvation. There's a story I came across 
and it's not found in Scripture, but according to a traditional Hebrew story, Abraham was sitting outside his tent one evening when he saw an old man weary from age and journey coming towards him. Abraham rushed out, greeted him, and then he invited him into his tent. There he washed the old man's feet and he gave him food and drink. The old man immediately began eating without saying any prayer or blessing. So Abraham asked him, Don't you worship God? The old traveler replied, I worship fire only and have reverence for no other God. When he heard this, Abraham became incensed. He grabbed the old man by the shoulders and threw him out, threw him out of his tent into the cold night air. When the old man had departed, God called to his old friend Abraham and asked where the stranger was. And Abraham replied, I forced him out because he did not worship you. God answered, I have endured him these 80 years, although he dishonors me. Could you not endure him one night? I found this story interesting, and it brought me to how Jesus treated those that he met. I had to wrestle with the question of how am I treating non-believers? Am I showing them the love of Jesus, the way that Jesus loved me when I did not believe? Which brought me to the next question. So why do Christians claim that Jesus is God? Why do we ignore other teachers and teachings from other religions? Why do we say he is the only way and we cannot accept that there are other ways to God? These are the questions that are most often asked about us. And when we look at other religions, they are not just asking us to add on their teacher, but to ignore Jesus and to give their leader equal or greater prominence. Jesus is then superseded by another, something no Christian would ever do. Many, many leaders of religion often are opposed to what Jesus said or they change his statements <coughs> to make them suitable in their own religious framework. Jesus asked the people to follow him alone, not only for that time and then to look for another one afterwards, but most other religions all claim that their prophet was to come with a new revelation in, time with all the other pro- in line with all the other prophets. But why should we accept these men's claims unless they have proof? If Jesus is God, follow him. If Mohammed, Buddha, or Krishna is God, then follow him. Just about anyone can claim to be God, and many have. Even in our modern times, there have been many, but it's a whole lot different thing to prove it. Only one came from heaven, died, and raised from the dead, and ascended back to where he came from. Some claim there are similarities to the moral, ethical commands of Christianity and other religions, such as in the teachings of Buddhism. Religion can install moral values and improve one's life temporarily, but in the end, it cannot affect our eternal state that continues after this life. The reason is that it does not have the solution to man's disease. It does not have the cure. Spiritual sayings are not enough. It has to be the eternal truth that never changes. From the God who came in the person, of Jesus Christ, 
the only true God and Savior. Christianity is summed up in the person of Christ. If you take Buddha out of Buddhism, Mohammed out of Islam, Krishna out of Hinduism, you still have their teachings intact. They are doing quite well without their originator and their teacher not being alive today. But if you take Christ out of Christianity, if he didn't rise, then you have nothing. All the religions point to the graves of their leaders, no matter how brave or how ingenious they were. They all lie, they all lie there waiting for their day to stand before the God that they so wanted to know. Only Christianity points to an empty tomb and the promise to empty the graves by the one who rose first to live eternally. None of these men were confirmed by the power of God. They're still dead. But Jesus was resurrected and he will judge the living and the dead. Jason Tukes was a 17-year-old high school honor student. He was close to his mother, his wheelchair-bound father, and his younger brother. Jason was an expert swimmer who loved to scuba dive. He left home on a Tuesday morning to explore a spring and underwater cave near his home in west-central Florida. His plan was to be home in time to celebrate his mother's birthday by going out to dinner with his family that night. Jason became lost in the cave. Then in his panic, he apparently got wedged in a narrow passageway. When he realized that he was trapped, he shed his yellow metal air tank and he unsheathed his diver's knife. And with the tank as a tablet and the knife as a pen, he wrote one last message to his family. I love you, Mom, Dad, and Christian. Then he ran out of air and he drowned. A dying message. Something communicated in the last few seconds of life is something we can't ignore. God's final words to us are etched on a Roman cross. They are blood red. They scream to be heard. And they too say, I love you. Paul wrote in Colossians 2.9, In him the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And he wrote in Philippians 2.6, Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Hebrews 1.2 reads, In these last days, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. He is the radiance of God's glory and the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by his word of power. When Paul said that Jesus is the Son of God, we understand him to mean that he is God. He's not a mere man or a high-ranking angel in human form. He is truly man and truly God. When we call him Son of God, we mean that he is of the same nature as God. Because fathers create things unlike themselves, but they beget sons like themselves. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. When you beget, you beget something of the same kind as yourself. A man begets human babies. A beaver begets little beavers. And a bird begets eggs, which turns into little birds. But when you make or create 
<coughs> you make something of a different kind from yourself. A bird makes a nest, a beaver builds a dam, and a man makes a wireless set or a computer. So when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we mean that God has begotten his Son in the very same divine nature, nothing less from all of eternity. Begetting is a metaphor, a picture that tries to hold two truths together. First, God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Father. They are distinct persons, distinct centers of consciousness, and they can relate to each other. And second, the Father and the Son are one God, not two gods. One essence, one divine nature. From all eternity, without any beginning, the Father has always had a perfect image of himself and a divine reflection of radiance equal to himself, namely the Son. So when we say Jesus is the Son of God, we mean, we mean that Jesus is God. No honking for this one, right? There was a drunk man who smells like beer and alcohol. And he sat down on a subway seat next to a priest. The man's tie was stained. His face was plastered with red lipstick. And a half-empty bottle of gin was sticking out of his torn coat pocket. He opened his newspaper and he began reading. After a few minutes, the man turned to the priest. And he asked, Say, Father, what causes arthritis? My son, it's caused by loose living. Being with cheap women, too much alcohol, and a contempt for your fellow man. Well, I'll be, the drunk muttered, returning to his paper. The priest, thinking about what he had said, he nudged the man and he apologized. I'm very sorry. I didn't mean to come on so strong. How long have you had arthritis? Well, I don't have it, Father. I was just reading here that the Pope does. Just... Just like this priest, too often we can make assumptions about people that are completely wrong. And what's worse, though, is that too often we can make assumptions about God that can be completely wrong. And many are making false assumptions today about Jesus. They will say he's a good teacher, a historical figure, an important person in history. And in society today, especially with the book and the movie, The Da Vinci Code, people are making false assumptions about Jesus. Jesus is more than a good teacher, a moral person, or a great prophet. Jesus claimed to be God, and he is God. Jesus is not claiming to be one of the gods as the Roman emperors did. Emperors did. He is claiming to be God himself. Not a good teacher, not showing us a way, but boldly saying, I am God. C.S. Lewis also said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. So let's not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great teacher. He did not leave that option open to us and he did not intend to. 
And Michael Green in his book, Man Alive, says, Jesus made the most shattering claims in the course of his teachings. And there is no parallel to them in any of the world's religions. And it simply will not do to neglect them, as is commonly done by agnostic writers. Yet, if you account them as part of the authentic record about Jesus that has come down to us, then at once the cozy picture of Jesus as merely a good man and a great teacher disintegrates. Jesus is immense, is omnipresent, is always with his followers. Matthew 28, 20 says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is everywhere. He's sovereign. Revelation 19.16 says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus' name will be called King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the supreme ruler. Jesus is all-powerful. John 1 verse 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is omnipotent. Jesus created everything that exists. The Bible says Jesus is unique in both his person and his purpose. He wasn't just some spiritual individual during his time on earth. He was both God's son and God himself, God in human flesh. Yes, he was fully man, but he was also fully God. Jesus claimed to be God might be hard for us to understand how this could be true. But it's important to rem- remember <clears throat> that God is much bigger and much more powerful than we can comprehend. We do know that Jesus said he existed before Abraham. He claimed that he and his father were one and that he was equal with the father. Not only did he claim to be God, but he also claimed to have the power of God. He said he had the authority, he has the authority to judge nations. He claims the authority to raise people from the dead and to forgive sins. Things only God can do. Jesus says he has the power to answer prayers and that he will be with his followers always. The New Testament equates Jesus to the creator of the universe. In John 16, 15, Jesus says, All that belongs to the Father is mine. Jesus' identity isn't solely based on what he says, but on what he does. And he left us a lot of evidence that he is God. And that evidence includes fulfilled prophecy and recorded miracles in which Jesus reversed the law of nature. He also lived a sinless life, something no one else has ever done. The ultimate proof of his divinity, however, was his resurrection from the dead from after his death on the cross. No one else has ever risen from the dead on their own. So why should we care who Jesus is? Well, there's only one way to heaven, one way to be free from your sin and to have a relationship with God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.1 says, Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. To have eternal life in heaven, we must put our trust in Jesus. 
And I think we all know why. Because we all sin. Meaning that we all fall short of God's perfect standard. And the consequence of sin is death. And that means eternal separation from God. But because Jesus lived a sinless life, his death on the cross provided a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Because he defeated death by rising again, we can have eternal life in the presence of God when we put our trust in him. Hundreds of people saw and believed in the risen Christ after his death and resurrection. And countless people in the past 2,000 years have discovered that only Jesus can meet their deepest needs and longings of the human heart. In Jesus Christ alone are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Dead religion proclaims a dead Jesus and promotes dead works that achieve nothing. But the gospel of God's powerful grace reveals a risen and exalted king with a name that is above every other name. A dead Jesus saves no one. But a risen Jesus who has conquered sin and death and now sits at the right hand of God interceding for us is a Jesus that you can bet your life on. It is essential that we see Jesus as risen and exalted above all things. Because if we don't, we will never experience the new life that is found only in him. Our life will be no different than that of an unbeliever. When God created this world and this universe, and when he died on the cross for forgiveness of sins, he had you and me in mind. During the days, <clears throat> the terrible days of the Blitz, a father holding his small son by the hand <clears throat> ran from a building that had been struck by a bomb. In the front yard was a shell hole. Seeking shelter as soon as possible, the father jumped into the hole and he held up his arms for his son to follow. Terrified yet hearing his father's voice telling him to jump, the boy replied, I can't see you. The father, looking up against the sky, tinted red by the burning buildings, called to the silhouette of his son, but I can see you. Jump. The boy jumped because he trusted his father. The Christian faith enables us to face life or meet death. Not because we can see, but with the certainty that we are seen. Not that we know all the answers, but that we are known. Amen. Gary mentioned that part two of this was to come, but he's done a good job of covering such a tremendous topic. Actually, due to scheduling things, that part two is scheduled on Easter Sunday, and uh, Carrie was just alluding to the resurrection, so I, good, good chance that that might be part of that message too, so I'll just have to replay Carrie there and talk to him about that. But let's uh, stand and conclude our time together by singing this song about Jesus. Carrie mentioned that he will be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and this song certainly echoes 
that thought. Jesus is King. And we bow before that Lord and Savior this morning as we've been focusing on him throughout our time together. We thank you for his great work, for his great gift, for his great love, and that he stands now before you interceding for us. We're amazed. We're humbled. We pray that we would be changed, that we might go forth and be the people you want us to be. In his name we pray. Amen.